Welcome, and thanks for joining us at the Central Baptist Podcast. Today, Pastor Barton teaches on the Lord's Prayer and explores how this simple prayer has the power to transform our lives and shape our relationship with our Heavenly Father. After listening, we'd appreciate it if you took a moment to rate and review the podcast. Your response helps others discover the life-giving truth of the gospel. Now, here's today's message. The scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 6, verses 9 to 15. Please turn to Matthew in your Bible or follow along on the sermon notes handout. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, well, we're feeling a little overwhelmed as a family. Thank you for your many words of many kind words, many encouraging words. Uh, this has been quite the emotional roller coaster for the last week or so, well, a few weeks. Uh, so let's just change gears a little bit and let's make a fun announcement and do something silly for a moment. You see in the back, we got our lift here. Uh, there's a lift in the auditorium uh, for the lights to be replaced this week. But we're also thinking of trying to help, you know, raise some funds for the church since I'm going to be gone. You have to have pulpit supply and things like that. So in the weeks to come, $100 a ticket. You can ever watch the Muppets, Stadler and Waldorf. You can get two people up in there. We'll lift it up to the top and you can heckle me while I preach for the next four weeks. Okay. So I only got a few sermons left. So this is your last opportunity. Well, first, because you're not allowed to heckle other weeks. Stadler and Waldorf, you know them? Oh man, they're so good. Yeah, it's been quite the journey the last few weeks, uh, and I'm glad to see, hear that Phil and others are mentioning that you, you need to realize we are part of a larger movement, uh, part of, just within our own fellowship, and then, of course, the movement of God's Spirit all across our province and, of course, around the world as well. Uh, but you are part of the, the, this church is part of the Fellowship of Evangelical Baptist Churches in Canada, and specifically the region of Fellowship Pacific, which is British Columbia and Yukon, about 100 churches or so, and many, many great things happening. And as was mentioned this past week, we were at our uh, annual conference and just hearing all the amazing things that God has been doing this last year. And of course, Northwest, Camp Quanos, all these other agencies are all part of this. And uh, God is doing great things in our midst. In fact, I would say in my lifetime anyways, I have never been more excited about what God is doing in our province through our group of churches and of course beyond that. But this is just mostly what I know. Uh, so just realize that bigger picture too, that God is doing great things. And you know, people commented to me when I was at the conference this past week, they said Central's not going to have any lack of applicants coming for this, this position. Uh, and the reason why, you need to understand this historically, and, then, and, and in the last few decades as well, Central has a great reputation amongst our wider group of churches and across Canada. So you just need to know that. This church is well regarded, and I have no doubt that God will provide, and there will be many applicants who will come in, and you're going to have to figure out uh, who it is who's going to be the next lead pastor here. But I'm not gone yet, so uh, let's do what we just do every Sunday, and that is open up the Word. 
But before we open up the word, we always pray and ask for God's blessing. So let's do that. Father, we do thank you for speaking to us. I thank you for the words that were just read, powerful ones that we're going to look at. And uh, we pray, as we always pray, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would speak to us through your word. You would speak in ways that only your spirit can, bringing home the truth of your word to our hearts, applying it in the way that only the Holy Spirit, who searches even the mind of God, can understand things, can reveal things to us, and apply them to our hearts. So shape us again this morning to become a little more like Jesus and to be faithful in living for him in the world. We pray it in his name. Amen. So we are starting a new series today on the Lord's Prayer, and I think as we talk about prayer, we all learn to pray, I think, kind of like children learn to grow up, and that is, you start with yourself. You start with your own needs, your own difficulties. This is how we first learn to pray when something, a difficulty comes up. Uh, So maybe maybe you're an adult, for instance, and you become a Christian and somebody gets cancer, they're in danger of dying. That's a need. You bring your need to God in prayer. Uh, You lose your job. You need a new job. And so you come to God saying, God, I have a need here. Uh, Please provide for this. So like children with their parents, our first words in prayer often arise out of our personal needs or our personal difficulties. This is good, this is right, but as we grow in our faith, we begin to realize we need to mature more in prayer. Like children need to learn to think a little more broadly than their own needs and their own difficulties, though those are important, we learn that we need to mature in prayer. But then we start to think about this and we start to maybe try to practice prayer a little bit more and we realize quickly that prayer is a different realm. It's a realm that is, it feels a little unnatural to us. We're not always sure as we come into prayer what we should say to God. You know, maybe, maybe we say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna practice, I'm gonna kneel down, I'm gonna try that, I'm gonna try maybe praying for 15 minutes straight or even longer, and you get into it and you suddenly realize, I'm not sure what to say. I've said the things I normally say, now where do I go? We, we might even find it easy to talk to other people. But then we come into the presence of God and we're not sure always what to say to God. And so we might echo the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter eight, when Paul says, for we don't even know what we should pray for. Then he adds, nor how we should pray. Do you ever get frustrated about your inability to pray? And say, Lord, I, I want to know how to pray. I mean, I, I value it, but I'm not always sure. Learning to pray sometimes can feel like, like a jungle. Like you've got to find your way through a jungle. And so you start kind of hacking your way, trying to hack out a path. And then you kind of come to a swamp. In other words, you're praying and your mind gets distracted and you're all off in something else. And five minutes goes by and you realize, oh, I was praying. I've got I to gotta come back to this. You get lost. You're trying to think, how do I address God? How do I speak to God? You're trying to hack a path out through the jungle. And it's not so easy. And so sometimes the answer is you just stop praying. Have you ever felt this way? The disciples of Jesus did. We read that in Luke chapter 11, they said to Jesus one day, Lord, teach us to pray. In other words, what's come behind that is we don't really know how to do this. We, we see you, Jesus, doing it. We, we hear you talk. We know that prayer is important, but we're not always sure how to do this. Lord, teach us to pray. And what did Jesus say in response? Did he say to them, hey guys, I mean, 
that's great. I'm glad you're asking this, but prayer, it's a really mystical thing. It's not an easy thing. And, and, you know, maybe one day, if you kind of just keep hacking your way through this jungle, you'll find your way through and you, you'll figure it out eventually as you get there. Is that, is that how Jesus responded to them? No, not at all. Jesus sat them down and what he basically did was he gave them a map. He blazed a trail. Jesus hacked a trail through prayer for us and he said, here's the path, here's the map. He gave us what is called the Lord's Prayer. Author Eugene Peterson points out, rightly so, that in the history of the church, if a person wanted to learn how to pray, all the great teachers and preachers of the church would always say, okay, there's many ways you can pray. The Bible teaches us much on that. But they would always emphasize the Lord's prayer. When seeking to learn how to pray, these great teachers would not try to say, go try to blaze your own trail. Go to try to figure out prayer on your own. No, they would say, there's already a map. There's already a path. Here it is. It is the Lord's prayer. So in the history of the church, if you wanted to know how to live, you would get pointed to the Ten Commandments. If you want to know what to believe, you would get pointed to the Apostles' Creed. And if you want to learn how to pray, you would get pointed to the Lord's Prayer. John Comenius, a Hungarian from the Czech Reformation in the 17th century, said it so well. Here's what he said. If someone asks about my confession of faith, I will name the Apostles' Creed. For none is so short, so simple, so pithy. If anyone asks about the standard by which I live, the answer lies in the Ten Commandments. For what is pleasing to God, no one can tell us better than God himself. If anyone asks about my formula of prayer, I will name the Lord's Prayer. For the prayer is the best key to open the heart of the Father. So spiritual growth in the history of the church revolved around creed, commandment, and the Lord's Prayer. Another kind of more historic example. In 1647, there's the Westminster Catechism. It teaches us and instructs us on what we should believe and how to live as Christians. And question 99 says this, ask this question. What rule hath, this is 1647, what rule hath God given for our direction in prayer? Answer, the whole word of God is of use to direct us in prayer. But then it goes on and it says this. Next slide. But the special rule of direction is that form of prayer which Christ taught his disciples commonly called the Lord's Prayer. This is good news for us. If you've ever struggled with prayer, this is such good news because what this is saying, what Jesus is saying is prayer is not an uncharted jungle that you have to find your way through and hack out a path and try to figure out on your own and struggle and struggle along the way. What we're seeing here is that there already is a path. It's a well-worn path. It's been walked by many thousands and millions of people. It was a path that was hacked out for you. It was a trail blazed already for you. The way is clearly marked. So as a church, what I want us to do as we begin into this series is to join all of the saints of history, all the children of God through history, to learn the Lord's Prayer, to learn each line of it, to learn how to walk this path. So this morning, what I'm going to do is just to introduce it. Broad, bird's eye picture, really big picture stuff. 
also very specific in its application. And then what we'll do each week is we'll look at one line each week. I'll take you up for the next few weeks and then I'll turn it over to Scott and to Phil. So in your heart today, express to God even right now in your own heart exactly what the disciples said to Jesus. When they said, Jesus, we really, we do want to learn how to pray. Lord, please teach us to pray. Pray that in your heart right now as we begin this series. Lord, please, I I need to mature in prayer. Please teach me how to do this. So let's look at the prayer today as a whole, the big picture map, and in the weeks to come, we'll look at the details. Here's a bunch of really practical things we learn as we introduce it. First, as we mature in prayer, we learn from Jesus that prayer begins with God, not us. This is how you mature in prayer. You begin to learn that prayer begins with God, not us. Now, as I mentioned, it's only natural when we first start praying that we come out of our own needs. Just like young children, when they approach their parents or something, they just come blasting with their needs. And this is what I have right now. These are my difficulties. We think primarily of ourselves. That's not a bad thing when you're a young child. But as we begin to mature, we also learn, Jesus teaches us, that we are actually to begin with God in our prayers and not with us. Where do I get that? I want you to notice the outline of the prayer. Note that we are to begin by addressing God as our Father in heaven. And then following that address, Jesus says there are actually, well, let me ask you a question, skill testing question. There are requests that come after it. How many requests are we to ask of our Father in heaven? As you look at the prayer, We begin with our Father in heaven, and then there are six requests that we are to make of our Father in heaven. We're going to look at this two weeks from now, but this is where most people get it wrong. The first request is, hallowed be your name. Most Christians actually think it's our Father in heaven, we praise you because your name is holy. That's true. That's not at all what this is saying. The first request is, Father, cause your own name to be set apart, to be hallowed, And then the second request, your kingdom come. Third request, your will be done. And then we get three more requests down below. One about bread, one about forgiveness, and one about being delivered from temptation and from the evil one. And then the church has added at the end the line, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen, which is a fitting way to end. Now, let me ask you a question. At what point in this prayer does Jesus instruct us to pray for ourselves? Just look at it. At what point? Isn't it about halfway through? In fact, it's exactly halfway through. There are three requests that we make to our Father in heaven that have to do with God, with his name being hallowed, with his kingdom coming, with his will being done. Prayer begins with God, not with us. But it's not like we don't matter. Then the second half has to do with us. Same with the Ten Commandments. If you look at them, the first few commandments are all about God and how he is to be treated. And the last half of the Ten Commandments are about us and how we are to live with one another. So this, I don't know about you, but for many, many years in my life, I totally get the last three requests. But I don't really get the first three. 
And so really, for most of my younger years anyways, I just kind of skip over the first three. I don't really, I know they, they sound all lofty and great and theological, but I didn't really know what they all, they seemed too impractical to me. But I could not escape the fact that Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And Jesus says, when you pray, you're supposed to begin with these first three requests, all about God's name being hallowed, God's kingdom coming, and God's will being done. And so I thought, I guess I got to learn what this means. I don't fully know what it means, so I just began to practice it. Okay, I'm going to begin where Jesus says I need to begin. And I'm astounded by the difference it started to make in my life. First of all, I'd ask, what does it mean? What is Hallowood? What a weird name, a word, weird word. What does that even mean? And so you got to learn some things along the way. But practicing it began to change everything. So rather than rush into prayer and say, God, I have all these needs. I have all these stresses and anxieties in my life. And I got to, please, I need you to take care of this. I need you to take care of this. That's how a two-year-old does stuff. And it's not wrong for a two-year-old to do that. But as we mature, I began to see, oh, Jesus wants me to begin differently. He wants me to begin, first of all, by addressing God as our Father in heaven. Not rushing in with my immediate needs for provision, praying for my daily bread or something like that. And so here's what that practice then ends up doing to me personally. I'll give you an example just from today. So we've got a lot going on in our lives, right? My wife and I and our family. Uh, lots of little anxieties, I'll be honest with you right now. Lots, lots of things happening. We're trying to sell a house. We're going to buy a house. We have to move our family. We're uprooting everything that we have in our life in Victoria, which we absolutely love. We're going to have to leave our wonderful church family. All of this causes us a lot of anxiety. We have to go to a new church. And what church is like central? And I'm not even going to be the pastor of the church. No one will even know who I am anymore. There's all this anxiety going on in our, our, our hearts. We got, we've got to make friends. My oldest daughter, Emmy, is going to McGill in fall. Great for her, fantastic, but my child is going to Quebec. I'm like, you know, all these anxieties are just, and they, so they can start to be weighing me down. So even this morning, they, they're just, I was starting to feel a little bit of the weight of them. And so my natural reaction is to come in, God, I need you to sell the house for us. I need you to lead us to find a house. We need you to help us find friends. We need you to help us find a church. All these, that's all the needs, right? I thought, okay, I got to practice what I'm about to preach. So begin with Father, our Father, and just stop and, and pause on our Father. What does our Father mean? Well, that first of all tells me I can only come to God through Jesus Christ. For Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So Father, I thank you that I come to you through Christ. What does Christ teach me? Christ immediately teaches me that God gave his son for me in order that he might bring me into his family. That I call him father means that he, is, he cares for me as his child. And so I'm, I'm meditating on, he's my father. He loves me as his child. I belong to him. He cares for me. And then he's not just a father that, that loves me. He's the one in the heavens, emphasizing his power, his authority, his sovereign ability to control all things. He will lead me. He will guide me. The one who spoke and the universe came into existence is the one who will just do a little thing like help us find a house or sell a house. So I'm meditating all these things. I have a father, a father who is the one in the heavens. And I didn't even have to get to ask for things because my anxiety levels just went down. So all of a sudden you realize this is why Jesus is getting us to mature in prayer. Because I could just kind of rush into prayer asking for all these things. But if I just pause and begin how Jesus says, and I'm meditating on our Father in heaven and addressing him that way before even moving on, 
almost all my anxieties were already dealt with before I even brought them up in prayer. This is why Jesus is trying to mature us so we can mature in our prayer lives. In this first point then, then prayer begins with God, not with us. And that's not to say we're not important. It's to say that the Father knows that what we need the most is himself. And so that teaches us that we don't rush into prayer. We ought to pause as we begin. The great teachers of the spiritual life throughout the centuries have always agreed that the first step in prayer has always been what they call recollection. To recall, you pause before you pray to recollect, to think about who it is that you are praying to. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the great preachers of the last century, puts it perfectly. Here's what he said. There are certain things I must always remember when I pray. I must not rush into prayer. I must not start speaking at once without considering what I am doing. Most of our trouble is due to the fact that our approach to prayer has been wrong. We tend to be so self-centered in our prayers that when we drop on our knees before God, we think only about ourselves and our troubles and perplexities. That is not the way to approach God. We must pause before we speak in prayer. There is a sense in which every man or woman, when he begins to pray to God, should put his hand upon his mouth. Strange as it may seem to you, you start praying by saying nothing. You recollect what you are about to do. I'm about to approach the creator of the universe. And how are we to speak to him and address him? not as great sovereign deity far off and removed, our Father, the one in the heavens. So that's the first thing that we learn as we start to mature in prayer is that prayer begins with God and not with us. Here's the second thing as we mature in prayer that we learn for Jesus. We are meant to use this prayer verbatim and as a template. The question has come up through the centuries. Is it right to pray this prayer verbatim, exactly like this, word for word? And in one sense, the answer is an unqualified yes. Of course you should. In Luke's version, where Jesus is teaching this, and Luke records his teaching, it begins with the disciples saying, Lord, teach us to pray. And then Jesus responds with these words. He says, when you pray, say, say these words. So say these words word for word, Father in heaven, and then he goes on and gives the rest of the prayer. So according to Luke's record of when Jesus taught this, it's right to pray it verbatim. Now look at what Jesus says when he taught it again in Matthew's version. He says something else. In verse 9, he says these words, pray then like this, like this. So there's a little bit of nuance there. It seems like what Jesus is saying is, here's your framework like a skeleton, and now you can, you can put flesh on the bones, or these are headings, and you can pray all kinds of things underneath them. So verbatim and as a template. So for instance, here's how you could do it. You come to give us this day our daily bread, pray it verbatim, fine. But I don't know about you, but if I use that as a heading, where, where does your mind go? I start to go, well, right now, provide for my daily bread. That's pr- provide for our physical necessities. For me right now, it's, Lord, would you please sell our house? That's a, that's, that's a daily provision that I need. And then I also start to pray, oh, I see that I've been given much wealth. Father, how can I care for those who don't have so much? How can I care for the poor? How, we start to pray for my, our compassion, you know, sponsorships, children's sponsorships. Pray for that. So you pray, give us this day our daily bread, and you start, use it as a heading. All things to do with physical necessities in life. 
and just start praying all these things underneath that. And there's many, many things that could be prayed under there. So you see, each line of this prayer could become a heading that you can use to pray underneath it. So pray it word for word and use it as a template, as headings that you fill out underneath. That's the second thing. There's another thing that Jesus teaches us as we mature. In the third place, prayer does not have to be long for God to hear it. <laughs> this is good news. Sometimes you think, oh man, I gotta, if I don't pray for an hour, I'm not a real Christian. No, nope, not at all. That's not what Jesus says. In fact, in Matthew's version here, Matthew wrote in the Greek language, there are 57 words. If you pray that, slowly even, that takes a minute. Right? Very short prayer. This makes it clear that God is not impressed with prayer simply because it's long. I mean, if you want to pray for a long time, great. But it's not like God is saying, if you don't spend, you know, half an hour praying every single morning and another half an hour at night, somehow you're not a real Christian. You're not really mature. That's not what we get here at all. In fact, look what Jesus just finished saying right before the Lord's Prayer within the context of why he gives it. He says, when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Don't just pray for the sake of praying and pray all these endless words, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Why not? Well, do kids feel like they need to talk for half an hour to their dad in order for their dad to actually understand and listen to them? They don't have to go for a half an hour. You can want to, sure, chat with your dad for half an hour, but you don't have to do that. No, Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then the next words are, this then is how you should pray, our father in heaven. And he goes on to give us the rest. This is good news for those of us who are learning to mature in prayer. It alleviates any fears that our prayers need to be long with the perfectly right said words in the old King James language or something like that in order for God to hear them. No, we are children. We come before our Father and we bring our requests to him. We bring our prayers to him and he appreciates simple prayers and even shorter prayers. So I can't make this point too long or that would defeat the point. So let's move on to the next one. Fourth, the Lord's Prayer encompasses every area of life, every area of life. It might be short and simple, but it is not simplistic. It's short and simple, but it's also broad, it's deep, it's comprehensive. Pray this prayer all your life and think through each of the lines. You'll only just start to plumb the depths of it. This is why I love this prayer. There is nothing in this prayer in life, there's nothing in life that is not covered in this prayer. We live in a world filled with anger, with hardship, war in Ukraine, injustice, problems all through our lives. Every single one of those are just covered under the one line of your kingdom come, your kingdom of peace. Jesus, bring your kingdom of peace on the earth. We need it. We need it in marriages. We need it in Ukraine. You could just start praying your kingdom come over every single area of your life, whatever is bothering you. That cover, it'll cover everything. There's many other ways to look at it as well. We all have physical necessities in life. So we pray, Father, please give us our daily bread. We make a mess of our relationships. We say and do things that harm other people. Father, forgive us our debts. And then we are reminded as we forgive those who sin against us. So we're forced to figure out our relationships and make peace with others because the Father says, you can't be asking me for forgiveness if you're not willing to make peace with the people in your life. And our hearts are prone to wander, Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love. And so we pray, Father, 
We are naive children. We will hurt ourselves in this world, so lead us not. Don't let us be led into temptations. Deliver us. We need you to swoop in and deliver us because we're naive and we're foolish, so deliver us from the evil one. So this prayer encompasses everything from the course of history to the food on your table. It does not pretend that pain and anger and hunger and these things are not real. It gathers them all up and it brings them to God in prayer. Most people view prayer as something that's kind of removed from our daily living, you know, maybe it's something if, eh, for those spiritual people, maybe it's for monks and that, but it's not practical, you know, for single moms, for students during exam time, or for overworked urban professionals. But according to Jesus, this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, touches every area of life. Every line is so practical. Listen to what N.T. Wright writes. <laughs> That's his name, N.T. Wright. We live, as Jesus lived, in a world all too full of injustice, hunger, malice, and evil. This prayer cries out for justice, bread, forgiveness, and deliverance. If anyone thinks those are irrelevant in today's world, he wrote this a little while ago, let them read the newspaper or the Twitter feed or the Facebook, whatever you want to call it, and let them think again. This prayer covers it all. It's short, it's simple, but it's comprehensive. That's why a friend of mine, Daryl Johnson, writes these words. A mere 57 words in the original Greek of Matthew's gospel, it manages to gather up all of life and brings it before God. By the way, great little book, Daryl's book. He was one of my professors um, in my master's degree. Uh, great little book called 57 Words That Change History on the Lord's Prayer. Well worth your time to pick that one up. Here's the fifth thing we learn in our introduction to the Lord's Prayer. Christian prayer engages the mind. It engages the mind. This is very important. When Jesus teaches us how to pray, he calls us to engage our minds, not to clear our minds, not at all, not to find God within. To the contrary, Jesus says prayer, the way you pray, is to fill your mind, not empty your mind. Fill your mind, not empty it. You're to fill your mind with thoughts of our Father, the one in the heavens, what it means for his name to be hallowed. As we carefully think through each one of these things. So for Jesus, prayer is not clearing the mind, it's filling the mind. For Jesus, he's not wanting us to take this prayer and use it as a, a, a mindless mantra. Sometimes a great danger with people who want to repeat the Lord's Prayer over and over and over. If you want to repeat it because you want to meditate on it, that's great. But if it's becoming a mantra, you're just falling into what he just said. Don't heap up empty phrases. Don't feel like you need to repeat things a million times for God to hear you. Not at all. It's not a mindless repetition. It's not an emptying of the mind. It's the opposite. It is meant to be something you meditate on. It is meant to be a path for your mind. This is very important because, of course, so much of our culture is influenced by Eastern religions. And of course, in many Eastern religions, like Buddhism, you want to empty your mind, you want to clear your mind. And it makes sense within that worldview because there is no personal God in Buddhism, for instance. It's an impersonal force. It's the universe in much New Age thinking. It's all impersonal, so you, you clear your mind in order to kind of become one with all that is around you. But is that how you would approach another human being? How would you, if you want to have a deep relationship with another human being, how do you do that? Do you sit before them at a coffee shop and say, okay, I'm just going to clear everything about my mind right now so I can engage with you? 
You, you laugh because you know immediately that doesn't make sense when you're talking to a person. If you're, you're out in nature and you want to enjoy nature, by all means, you calm your mind and you try not to think about all the light, things in life. You calm and clear your mind to just take in all of nature. You don't do that with a person. If you want to get to know a person, you engage with them. You ask them questions. You get to know them. You, you really want, like your spouse or somebody like that, you're getting to know every single little part of them. You're, you're asking questions and discerning who they are. God is personal, not impersonal. He is our father. And because he's a personal being, Christian prayer never seeks to empty and clear the mind, except maybe to prepare yourself to pray. It's not an empty of the mind. It's a filling of the mind with all the truths of who God is, of what he's done for us, and to bring it before him as our father in heaven. And that is why we can study prayer and think and talk about it. Because it's not some mystical thing where we all need to find some state of consciousness where we become one with God. That's not Christian prayer at all. It's the filling of the mind with truth. Finally, here's the last thing. Our prayers are to be community-minded, world-embracing prayers, not just individualistic prayers. Community-minded, world-embracing prayers, not just individualistic prayers. I want you to see this so clearly. Here's some maturing for all of us right now. I get all this from the global language of what Jesus says and from what we might call the corporate language that Jesus uses. Notice all of this. Let's start at verse Nine, which is our Father in heaven. Notice, for instance, he does not begin with my, we don't pray with my Father in heaven. How do we begin? Our Father in heaven. Not a singular, a plural. That's corporate language, right? And then you've got these three requests. Grammatically in the Greek, this uh, line of on earth is in heaven belongs with all three. It, it tags onto all three. So whenever I pray this, I actually pray it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name on the earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. It belongs with all three of the requests. And so you're immediately now thinking of the whole world. You're praying, God, cause your name to be hallowed over the whole earth as it is already being hallowed in heaven. So it's embracing of the whole world and to all of community. Then you get to the second half. It's not give me my daily bread, is it? Give us our daily bread. And it's not forgive me my debts, it's forgive what? Us our debts. And it's not lead me not into temptation, it's lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So, two questions. Ready for a penny to drop for yourself in maturing in prayer? Two questions. If you follow them, the penny will drop for you. There are eight pronouns in this prayer. How many of the pronouns are singular, as in me, my, I? How many of you? Zero. All eight pronouns are plural. We, us, our. Now, here's the second question where the penny drops. Did Jesus teach us this prayer so that we could primarily use it in public or in private? Hmm. Let's think about that for a moment. Of course we can use it in public. But actually, the context is private prayer. Listen to what Jesus wrote or said right before he gave the prayer. This is the context when he said these words. When you pray... Go into your room and shut the door. That's private prayer. 
and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Then he gives us the Lord's Prayer. So the primary application of the Lord's Prayer, not the only, but the primary application is how should you pray when you're praying in private? Answer number one, you shouldn't go broadcasting your prayers to the world. You should go by yourself in a private place. And what are you to say when you pray in private? You're to begin with, our, not my, our Father in heaven, and then all of the plural pronouns that follow after that. I don't know about you, but this might be one of the hardest parts of this prayer for me. <laughs> it just almost feels wrong when I do it. Why is that? It's because I, and I'm going to suspect you, live in the most individualistic generation in the history of the world. There's never been a generation more individualistic than ours that thinks more of the self than our generation. And then there's just the natural human inclination that we're all self-centered. We think of ourselves first. So here Jesus, though, is saying to us, when you come to pray, I actually want you to begin praying using plural pronouns. And so I, when I begin to pray, it's often, my father, I need my sins forgiven. Father, lead me not into temptation. Provide for my daily bread. And so then again, when I started to read this and study this prayer, I thought, okay, but that's not what Jesus says to say. So I, I guess I need to start practicing what he says. And so I said, okay, well, I guess I got to use the language that Jesus taught me to use. And you know what happens when you do that? It changes you immediately. And it changes your heart for the world. And it changes the whole way that you pray. For me, anyways, as I force myself to use more corporate language, the us and the our language, I immediately find myself becoming less self-centered. Because now my prayers cannot just be about me anymore, can they? They're about us, about our. So for instance, I'm praying, give us this day our daily bread. I didn't say give me my day, me myself my daily bread. That's not the prayer. Give us our daily bread. So now I got to think, who am I praying about? Well, I'm praying for you. All of a sudden, I'm not just praying for myself and my house anymore. Now I'm praying for you, for those of you who need work. And then immediately my mind goes, us. Who else is the us? Well, we're talking about on the earth as it is in heaven. I'm thinking of the earth. I'm thinking of people in Ukraine now. Just, they've lost their houses. They lost everything. Father, provide for the people who've been displaced. <laughs> provide for their daily bread. I'm thinking of uh, compassion children. I'm thinking of all over the world. And then immediately my, my mind is going, thank you, Father, that you've given me my daily bread. How can I now make a difference in the world to be part of the solution of providing? Because surely we are the hands and feet of, feet of Jesus. We are the way that gets answered this prayer for people who are in poverty. So all of a sudden, you see what's happening? Just on that line, instead of praying, give me my daily bread and sell my house for me, give us our daily bread forces me out of myself just by the language that I use and changes the whole way that I pray. Or I start caring more about world missions. I think about the state of our nation when I'm praying his kingdom would come on the earth. I find myself thinking more about each of you in our church. I find myself praying more for marriages. Father, would your kingdom of peace come to marriages that are troubled? Would your kingdom of peace come to workplaces where there's a lot of troubles and conflict that I know about going on? And Lord, would you deliver us from evil as a church? Deliver us from the evil one who might try to come into this body of believers and cause disunity and problems. Father, we're foolish little children a lot of the time. Don't let us be led that way. 
deliver us from the evil one who would do us harm. So as I said at the start, prayer, like with children, we begin to pray with our own needs, our own difficulties, our own messes. But as we begin to mature, one of the greatest ways we mature is this corporate language. Father, lead us not into temptation. Have mercy on us. To, you know, forgive us our debts, Father, for all our sins against you. Forgive us of these things. Prayer is meant to not just be about ourselves, but like children when they grow up need to learn to think of other people and beyond. In prayer, we grow up and we begin to mature and we start to think beyond our own needs to have prayers that literally embrace the whole world. Prayers that embrace what's going on across the other side of the world. Prayers that embrace other people, not just our own needs, though those are important as well. So those are the six observations, just as we introduce this. The prayer begins with God. That's how we mature. It begins with God, not with us. Prayer, we can say it word for word, the Lord's Prayer. Pray it verbatim or use it as a template. Third, we don't have to feel like prayer has to be long. We can be short. We can be simple. Pray this prayer with us. And then we prayed because we pray this prayer because it encompasses all of life. And as we do it, we don't clear our minds and disengage them. We engage our minds trying to understand and think through all the parts of the prayer. And this prayer is world-embracing, community-minded. So those are the six things to introduce it. But here's the way we need to end today. I gotta add one more thing because it's good and it's right for us to learn how to use our minds to pray. It's good for us to talk about it, think about it, preach about it. Those kinds of things are all great. But we actually gotta pray. <laughs> you, you sit through uh, however long we've been preaching, 30 minutes right now, 35, something like that. You do all that. If you don't actually pray, what was the point? So we talked about prayer. We thought about prayer. We said amen to that's how we should pray. <laughs> We actually got to go and practice prayer. There's an author named Andrew Murray. He wrote a little book entitled With Christ in the School of Prayer. He says it so well. Reading a book about prayer, listening to lectures and talking about it is very good, but it won't teach you to pray. You get nothing without exercise, without practice. I might listen for a year to a professor of music playing the most beautiful music, but that won't teach me to play an instrument. You learn to pray by praying. So with that in mind, here's a practical idea for you to start putting the Lord's Prayer into practice. The Lord's Prayer has seven lines to it, seven parts to it, I should say. Begins with the address, our Father in heaven. Then there's three requests about God, his name to be hallowed, his kingdom to come, his will to be done. And then there's three requests about ourselves, bread, forgiveness, and pardon slash deliverance. Seven requests or seven parts, sorry. How many days are in the week? Seven days. Here's a great, great and ancient practice and one that I've done for quite some time, one of the most beneficial practices for me. I begin on the first day of the week, Sunday, and I focus mostly on, I could pray the whole thing, but I focus my prayers on our Father in heaven. And I just camp out on that, meditate on that, think it through, pray it through as much as I can, and then move on to my other prayers. But then throughout the day as well, trying to shape my day around our Father in heaven. Allow my thoughts to come back to that. Try to bring situations through that grid. What does it mean that I have a Father in heaven for this or that situation? Then on Monday, hallowed be your name on the earth as it is in heaven. What does this hallowed mean? What does this hallowed? We'll get into that in two weeks. 
And the whole day of Monday is shaped by hallowed be your name. Wherever I go in the world where I say, see God's name not being hallowed, set apart, Father, hallowed be your name over here. Father, over here I see this terrible stuff happening. I, I heard somebody blaspheme your name. Cause your name to be hallowed in that person's life. Cause your name to be hallowed in our nation. So just throughout the day, praying it. And so then you're, it's a little bit easier to practice it this way, and then you really try to work it out in practice because you just got one line. So then if you forget also for a day, you can just go, oh, what day am I on? It's the third day of the week, so what part, you track it down, oh, this is where I'm, I'm back to this again. So there's a practice for you to try to learn how to mature in prayer in order to come and to walk this path that Jesus has blazed for you, a well-worn path that Christians throughout the centuries have walked to learn to mature in prayer, not having to worry of, oh, what do I say to God? You've been given the words, you've been given the headings, now learn to practice it. What a gift Jesus gave to us as God's children, that we can come to our Father, we can come to him because of what he's done for us through Jesus Christ, fully boldly into his presence, and we can make these requests to him, we can address him in prayer, saying, God, we need you for all of these things. Thank you that we can approach you through Christ. Let's pray. And Father, because it is Sunday, we will begin there saying, Our Father in heaven, we praise you and we rejoice in the fact that you are not just an impersonal God far off and removed. You're not even just a powerful God who can create, though you are a powerful God. But in Christ, you are our Father. And we praise you for that. We praise you because some people have had poor earthly fathers and we need a true and good and loving heavenly father. And even the best of us earthly fathers, we look to you as the ultimate loving, caring father. We praise you now that you care about your children and that's so proved that you gave your son for us. And father, we have many needs in our lives and so now we entrust those needs to you, trusting that you are the one who loves us you brought us into your family and as any good and loving father does you care for your children and then our faith is increased even more father that you are not just our father you are the one in the heavens the great and powerful God who spoke and a universe came into existence the great and powerful one who is sovereign over history over nations that your providential invisible hand guides and leads all things, that you work out everything in conformity with your will, that there is no one on earth and no one in heaven who can stop your hand. There's no one who can say to you, what have you done? No one can hold back your hand. And so we rejoice in that because you are the God who is with us and for us, our Father who cares for his children. So we have many needs and we look to you our Father, the one in the heavens, praying this all through Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.